This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Today on the Composer Chronicles, I'm excited to introduce you to composer J.M. Garrity. His background as a horn player in community bands, drum and bugle corps, and orchestras solidified his desire to create music for ensembles that resembled those he enjoyed performing in, as well as those who would be listening to the music. He was a finalist in the 2018-2019 Rapido Composition Contest and has been commissioned by ensembles all around the United States, such as the Atlanta Chamber Players, Voices of Change, the Musica Nova Orchestra, and the Mid-America Freedom Band. Stick around until the end of the episode to listen to a full performance of his chamber work, Slant of Light. From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of composers past and present. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 34, J.M. Garrity. I guess we'll just start off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey into becoming a composer. Yeah, sure. Um, boy, uh, composing started, um, it's, it's kind of silly maybe. Um, when I was a, um, when I was, uh, like around 13 or 14, uh, I needed a new French horn. Uh, I was a French horn player. Uh, I had this local kind of every, every music man kind of guy, like he taught, he taught all the music lessons, you know, when I was about 13, I said, oh, okay, I want to, I want to become a conductor. And he said, okay, great. He also conducted the local town band. Um, so he said, now you're the assistant conductor of the town band. So I, I came at composing that way by seeing, you know, cause you don't really think about music scores until you actually see them. Right. And, um, so I, you know, I was finally looking at scores and then I had to get a new French horn because I was getting into high school. And I don't know if you know much about like brass instruments, but you like, I you do. Know. I'm a trumpet player. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, like there's sort of a rite of passage from when you go from your single horn, like the one you, you know, the one that's, and so you get your double horn. Um, yeah. so we got one and this, um, this lady from, we got it from a woman who was with the Boston ballet and she included a bunch of blank staff paper with it. And it, as silly as it sounds like I just never conceived of it coming blank. Mm-hmm. So I just started writing, um, just started writing music down uh, on it and just kind of like, you know, just goofing around. And I showed it to my teacher. He said, okay, now it's composition lessons. <laughs> um, so then he started with species counterpoint, 
which I now wish I took way more seriously um, because <laughs> I didn't realize like how much of a gift that was at the time. But, you know, like literally he was just like watering down gratis at Parnassum for me and right. handing me a little exercise. And, yeah, I was like, this is this is amazing. And then I was ignoring all of it and just goofing around and just doing my own thing. And then it was kicking myself when I actually got to when I got to school. Um, so I I had a lot of experience because like, like, I was able to write for the town band. You know, anything I wrote for the town band got played. You know, anything I, you know, so I had this really, really great formative experience, but it was just sort of a little, so like the big thing is that I didn't realize that, um, especially in undergrad, like they, you know, you, you have to still be a kind of identified by your primary instrument. Right. So, because I basically functionally stopped playing my French horn, except to like, you know, play, in the, play Sousa marches, you know, play my, play my paws to someone's ooms. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I was, but I was mostly thinking like, oh, I'm a conductor now. I don't, I don't need a French horn. I'm, I'm, I want to be a conductor and I want to be a composer. Why would I pick that horn? Well, you know, and the whole, I mean, the whole, the, the biggest specter was I just never picked up piano and never thought about it. And, you know, one of the early walls I ran into is that a lot of time, like for being a conductor and being a composer, like the, the, the default setting is that you're a pianist first. Um, it turns out I'm a miserable piano player. <laughs> and it became this this sort of like this boon. Like I ended up spending. I I can think I can attribute like I, at one point I figured out exactly how many of my how much of my student loans were dedicated towards like specifically piano lessons. And like it, it cost me X dollars to play like Gollywog's Cakewalk, um, right. to, or something like that. Like you know just something. Um, but that was something you know I kind of always always kind of struggled with. Um, I. I had this, I had a, you know, kind of a neat upbringing. I don't know if any composer, I don't know if there's a standard composer upbringing because it's not the same path as it is no. for like instrumentalists. Like they're mm -hmm. all weird stories and they all, they're all kind of like jigsaw puzzles of like how you, how you build this up. Cause it's yeah. just the way that we're taught. Like no one's, no one's really taught from a young, well, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I, I worked at a music camp and I saw the kids that were getting proper like college professor, um, composition lessons starting you know I, I you know I, I when I got to college I realized that there was like a, you know I came from I came from strip mall USA in Nashville New Hampshire like you know I don't know if you're familiar with like the area but like mm -hmm. not not an artistic mecca you know about right. 40, 40 minutes you know 40 minutes outside of Boston like it would have been you know a bit of a haul to get to the nearest like cultural center right um, and I just didn't go um, you know I just wasn't like part of you know I was wasn't part of my life to get there so um we, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I realized really quickly that there was a bunch of kids like from like Westchester, New York, uh, and like the surrounding, you know, like I, I, I learned like working in the music camp, that, Oh, Juilliard pre-college is a thing. And there are these people that like, you know, basically have been, you know, have had like the, you know, air quotes, cause it's a podcast, you know, um, <laughs> proper the proper training from, from day one have had like everything they've, you know, like had like the, the right connections and the right everything. And I just didn't have that. And I kind of wandered in cause I was the, I was the best composer conductor horn player that Nashua, New Hampshire had, had turned out <laughs> that year. So I thought I was pretty, thought I was pretty awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I got promptly and then spent the next like eight years of my, uh, of my life just getting, you know, getting my compositional butt handed to me by mm -hmm. everyone. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's sort of the formative part of it. It, you know, and then obviously getting through, 
getting through school. I was, I went, um, went to Hart for undergrad, which was, which I had a you know, great time. I learned, a, I learned a lot there. And then I tried to apply for grad school. And because I was still so cocksure of myself, I think I only applied to like five schools and they were all like Juilliard, Yale, Princeton. And I was like, why am I, why am I not getting in? I'm the best yeah. horn player in Nashua, New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and then I, uh, I actually, um, I ended up going to University of Oregon, which is great because um, it was it was the it was a a, a real boot camp. Um, the thing that they really sort of promised me was a, was like certainty, um, which was what was great about Hart was that I was able to sort of explore and kind of figure things out. You know, it's a great great uh, it was a great time for me to be an undergrad because I you know I did I I only kind of knew about this stuff. I knew more about band rep than I did about orchestra. You know, I just had like this you know, really town band centered, uh, you know, and I knew I, I did drum corps for, for like five years as a kid. And so like, you know, if you asked me at the time, like, oh yeah, the, the, the peak, the peak of music was, uh, was star of Indiana 93. Like that's the, you know, <laughs> that, that is the, everything else is downhill from there. And right. uh, <laughs> so uh, I learned a tremendous amount, but um, it was very nebulous. Like they just kind of let you do your own thing, but it wasn't very like career focused. Um, uh, Oregon was very different. Um, they were very, very focused. Um, they had, you had a plan, um, and they, you know, everything was specific towards getting you into like the next step, which for me was trying to get a doctoral program. And it was nice. It was a lot of structure that I didn't, I didn't know I needed, but like, I wish I had had from day one. Um, if I ever got to be like a professor at a place, like I would roll out a plan, very similar to how I learned in Oregon, just because like that sense of like, you know, if you, cause you can just kind of, you know, and then contrasting that with like just living in Oregon was so nice and like the living's easy. It's cheap. Um, everyone's really relaxed at kind of the, the town of Eugene sort of saps ambition. Um, so I ended up spending that and piano lessons um, made me spend way more time there than I thought I was going to need to. Mm. And then um, at that point um, I start like I, I, I had figured out by that point that I, you know, being the best horn player in Nashua, New Hampshire, you know, 2001 was not going to really, you know, propel me to a, you know, propel me to the kind of career that I thought I was, you know, that I thought I deserved to have. So I, you know, my, my sort of ambition for a career kind of slowed then. Um, I was very lucky to get into uh, Stony Brook for my PhD, mm -hmm. um, which was a complete, so I was attracted to go study in general, like uh, after Hart, you know, and Hart, I felt like I was surrounded by people that really liked what I was into and kind of supported me. Like I, I wanted to go find people that would give me differing opinions. Like I wanted, I figured, I, I figured like the, you know, it, I would learn a lot more from someone who disagreed with me more than I would uh, about someone who, uh, that, that just get, you know, said yes, you know, all the right. time. Right. So, um, Stony Brook, I was like, okay, awesome. I'm basically going to be Brooklyn adjacent. This is the early 2000s. So this is kind of the, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the cultural, like we're in, we're in the like sort of post bang on a can world, you know, <laughs> everyone's living in Brooklyn. All the composers are wearing t-shirts. They're basically in bands. Like this is not like, you know, I'm sitting here like critiquing conductors. I'm like, why are you wearing that cummerbund with your tailcoat? Like that's right. not, that's not how you do it. You know, I, and so we, it was like a different, you know, completely different universe. Um, mm -hmm. 
it, I learned a lot. I think I became a better, it made me a better composer, but I think I'll, like, it's not something I would recommend like young composers do. Like I would say, fine, you know, I would recommend find your people and go, mm-hmm. you know, cause it'll, it'll propel you. But I, like, I, I learned a lot from, I learned what I didn't want to be. Like I learned that I couldn't be like a really electronic first kind of composer, which I think broke my, one of my teacher's hearts there. Cause I was, I wanted so bad to like, to, to be one of those kind of like multimedia, you know, um, I learned to Stony Brook that, you know, kind of, I'm a painter in a world of tanks of formaldehyde with sharks in them. Mm. If that makes sense, you know, like that's, yeah. like, I, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel old fashioned or, you know, I feel, and so it's, I, you know, I, I wasn't really making music that I think was making anyone really particularly excited. Um, and then I met my wife at, um, met my wife while we were doing our PhDs. Um, she's a physicist. Um, so we sat down, did the hard math and she, we basically said, okay, um, uh, we're going to have to prioritize her career if we're going to be able to live. Um, so we moved to Australia for a couple of years. Um, nothing really kills your career, like moving to the opposite side of the planet where you don't know anybody. Um, and then after that, we moved back to the United States, but now we're living in the desert. I live about halfway between Los Angeles and Palm Springs. So I live like okay. in a place called the Inland Empire, which is now like two hours from LA and is, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of Nashville where I grew up, you know, and sort of like there's, you know, I'm out here. And so um, tried to do the adjunct thing. Um, but the truth is like, I think the, the adjunct positions are so good here. Um, and people in out West, you know, will drive forever. They, you know, kids from Colburn and kids from USC think nothing of driving two hours to go teach for an hour on a Wednesday at 10 in the morning. So it's, it's difficult to, you know, just land, you know, and at that point I'd been out of it, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if you've done the adjunct thing or, you know, it's just the, the longer you're out of the game, the harder it is to get back in. So at this point, I mean, my career is not really much of a career in that I'm, I'm, I'm writing it. Like I can't imagine not composing, but it's, it's, it's very unfocused and it's very, it's, it's, I'm a, I'm, I'm a day job. I have a day job with a composing habit that I do it. Like, you know, I, I wake up at like four in the morning and do it because I, you know, I can't imagine not doing it. And, and then the, the coronavirus happened and then everyone's world got turned upside down. So right. now we're all trying to figure out, you know, we've got people, you know, saying I'm not writing, you know, we've got like, you know, prominent composers saying like, I'm not writing at all because I don't want to, you know, like this is a stressful time. Right. Some of us you know, are going like, now's our chance, you know, like this is, we're going to, we finally have all this. I, I've managed to keep a, keep, I've been fortunate to keep a day job, you know, so I can afford like my mortgage and my student loans uh, <laughs> right. while we're, while we're doing this. Um, and so that's the, that's kind of the adventure now is just paying for the education that you know got me to where I am right now. So yeah, I've been there. I'm still in that position. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's tough. Like I said, like it's a, it's a weird story. I I don't consider myself like a very like hashtag successful composer. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're interviewing me because I feel like the when especially like for young composers, they're only ever exposed to like the point one percent of composers that really like make it right. You know, and it's very difficult to hear a story. Uh, it's very difficult to hear the story of like, well, my parents had a lot of money. And so we afforded the best lessons, which brought me to the best schools, which, you know, in turn, you know, so it's, I think, I think stuff like this is really important because you have to, 
it's there's you know there's there's thing there's like sort of gaps in people's stories that you just don't you don't hear about especially in classical music where we don't like to talk about you know things like money or things like class you know right. or things like privilege or like the, you know like a ton a ton of old fashioned gatekeeping like classical music is like one of the last great bastions of you know old world style gatekeeping um, right and you know there's always exceptions obviously but you know we have so much work to do so mm-hmm. yeah that was the point of doing starting to do these types of interviews is to show that composers are not all that glorious <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and not every composer comes from the same kind of upbringing and so it's important to know that especially if you are an aspiring composer oh absolutely yeah no it's tough and it's the internet was the weird so like you know uh, i'm i'm 38 i don't know how old you are steven but like so i came up like you know like we, the internet was just becoming a was just becoming a thing and social media was becoming a thing i was um it was difficult i it's gotten better now like i think composers have gotten a lot more realistic about it but there was sort of this this yeah. gentleman or i shouldn't say gentleman but like it was a sort of an agreement across everyone that like we would all remain super duper positive you know no one's going to show any warts you know we're all like talking on we're all talking on twitter like we're talking on linkedin um right. you know about how awesome everything is and you know so hashtag blessed to be going to Tanglewood again this year was like, you know, you had to like <laughs> knock all these things out again over and over. And I think that it's gotten better, but like that was super duper toxic for a long time because like we were mm -hmm. just trying to, to reach for that. Like you said, like that ideal lifestyle where the one where like, for some reason, like everyone just has a bunch of money, but no one will talk about why or like, or people right. just have or, money. Isn't really it's like time. I think is the thing like, you know, like I, you know, like, Oh, I, I, yeah, of course I composed for, you know, six hours today. Like I, you know, I, I did that or, you know, or the other end of that, like the, like sort of the, the busyness porn, the, mm -hmm. the idea of like, guys, I am so busy. I've got seven commissions. They're all <laughs> due tomorrow. And you're, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it was exhaust. I mean, it's exhausting to kind of, you know, it's in like, I think, especially if you're a young composer and you, like I said, it's gotten better. Like we've gotten much better at like kind of being a little more candid about it, but like, yeah, those, those years of reading like a page of that or like Facebook was the worst for that. Yeah. You know, and just, it was, you know, it, it was exhausting and it really, I mean, I, I know for sure it took its toll on me as a, as a composer because I would just log onto the internet and just turn on the anxiety machine and, right. you know, go get, <laughs> go get keyed up and say like, Oh, awesome. My life is terrible. And everyone else's lives are awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the problem with social media is everybody sees the positive, but nobody sees the struggle. Right. And it's important to know the struggle so that you are aware of it before you get yourself involved in it. Right. I, I got a reputation as something, somewhat of a complainer on, <laughs> on, on social media early on, because I, I, again, cause I, again, a lot of it was just my own like smug arrogance about like, again, being the best, the best horn player, conductor, composer of Nashua, New Hampshire, 2001. And like, <laughs> but like, I, I joke about it. But, like I held on to that like mindset for, it took me forever to lose that. And like, you know, so most of my twenties was just being like, guys, do you know that there's like rich people that get to do this? And mm -hmm. you know, they're like, they're like how unfair it is for some reason. I had it in my head that like, composing was going to be a thing where like we would all gather in a stadium and like Pokemon battle it out like with yeah. composing. Like yeah. I didn't, yeah. Like, I don't know where I, I again, drum core. 
<laughs> it's like, oh no, we're all going to show up and compete one day, right? And then, like, yeah, yeah. If we don't, if we can't beat them on the field, you beat them in the parking lot, and like whoever is left over at the end wins. Like I thought of it, but it's it's no, yeah, no, not like that at all. In fact, no, it is not. It is, yeah, just yawning silence. I think that's the worst part. Is that like you know you can either be you know you, you want to be loved, but like you'll 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 be okay with hated because at least then you're known. You know, right. but most of the time it's just like you just shout into the void and you hear nothing back, or you just you're in a room with other everyone else just shouting into the same void. And that's kind of like what Twitter is. You know, a lot of just like, you know, it's gotten better. Like I said, I think I think as artists we've gotten better at learning how to use it and kind of like we don't, you know, you still see some remnants. Like I see a couple like kind of older classical musicians. Like when you'll you'll see that like it's obvious that their assistant wrote it because for some reason like they're the only person writing posts in third person. Right. And you're like, why are you like, this is, you know, you know, it's, you know, we, we, I think we've gotten a little suspicious of like overly curated overly, you know, or like, you know, the, yeah, the ones that sound like they're trying to sell you like a, like an online, like guru situation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I I've seen that. I've seen that recently specifically with a book that I, I had bought myself because I started a business and I wanted to really understand the, the basics of starting a business. And so I bought a book and reading the, all the Facebook posts about it is not from the actual person who wrote it under each of the comments. They write uh, the author of this book, blah, blah, blah. And they answer the question. And then they always end it with uh, author's team. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> And, and, and I started noticing that after getting this book and I was like, so I'm starting to question whether or not the, the person actually wrote this book and how much of it is actually valid and how much right. of it is, was, was what, from the experience of the actual person who wrote it, claiming that everything in this book was of their own experiences and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's better to know that the person is not actually responding, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, I would rather the other the person who wrote this to respond and actually give their feedback about the comments that are being made or whatnot. So yeah, I completely understand what you're talking about because it's, it's just the, the nature of social media nowadays. Yeah. It's yeah, it's unfortunate. Like I said, I think it's I I feel like I feel like it's getting better. I mean, as I'm getting I, so I'm, I'm nearing forty, so I'm sort of realizing that like at, at, at any day now, someone's going to come and take my cultural relevance away, and uh, <laughs> you know they're like, okay, you know, there's going to be we're all going to move to this other flat. I, I feel like 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 again, like maybe like it's either Snapchat or TikTok is the Rubicon I can't cross. Right. Um, like you know, there's there's going to be some social media platform where like everyone, all the all the cool new fresh voices are going to be there. And, um, you know, at then at that point I'll know like, okay, that's that my, my time has come and gone about it. But like, yeah, but like I, my sense from it, like right now, like with younger, with younger artists and younger composers is that it's, it's getting to be a better place. I also feel like the, again, this whole coronavirus thing is, you know, if we can look at, if we can, if, if there's some silver lining to like our situation, it's a big reset button. Right. Like it affects like this, you know, the, no one, I mean, this is, it's not disadvantaging everyone equally. That's, that's for mm -hmm. sure. Like, but it, the, but it's just sort of like a cultural moment where we're all like, there's a lot of instincts towards like taking a breath, I think, 
which mm-hmm. is, you know, I don't know how we're going to, I don't know what it's going to look like when we pick everything up, but I mean, like, yeah, like, um, there's a lot of, I guess you want to call it, like churn with organizations. Like a lot of organizations are going under. I wonder like once things get back up again, does that mean we're going to be freeing up a bunch of people to like, right. to kind of work on new things or what are those new things going to look like? I mean, mm-hmm. our, um, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see what it would, what, what things are going to look like after all this. If for no other reason than just I'm tired of I'm tired of kind of sitting in the holding pattern right now. Yeah. Like I, you know, I want to I want to I want to see a musician. I know some other people are, you know, really fortunate to get to get those. You know, there's there's things that are starting to slowly open up. Um, right. So I'm you know, but I I'm, you know, I kind of want to see the world get back to the maybe not the way it was, but at least you know, I want to see us get out of you know. I'm living like I, said, I live in live in the California desert, so it's just it's also like day a thousand of 90 degrees plus and sunny. It's the same day. I'm living the same day over and over and over again. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same chair that I work from, like got my day job, like from here. So it's like, I, I'm on my fun computers here and I turn like 45 degrees, my work computers here. So I'm I'm waiting, I'm waiting to go do something, anything else. (laughs) Right. Right. What kind of music do you compose? (laughs) um i (laughs) it's a loaded question no 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 i'm sure and everyone's gonna uh i got asked this question a little while ago and i i never come up with a good answer for it um i know that my music is not newest freshest or Mm -hmm. you know it's not you know like i said i'm not like i said i i am i it took me a long. Sorry, I'm taking a long time to think about it because it's it's like no. again, it's probably the toughest question. On if you ask like a hundred composers, you're going to get the same like. Uh, um, yeah. But you're also like, I don't want to just fall into like, well, it's really eclectic because I feel like again, it's like a, it's like a, a non-answer. Like, yeah, yes, everyone's music is eclectic. Everyone's music is pulling from all kinds of things. Like that's right. a non-answer. Um, it's, huh? I. Like I said, my like starting from the metaphor of like I feel like a painter in a world of like conceptual artists mm-hmm. is kind of how I feel. So I I still see myself as a custodian of um, of a musical tradition. Um, I grew up, you know, especially in my early college career. Like I, I grew up very self conscious of the fact that I didn't know or like I, I felt like I, very outside this tradition. Like I you know I spent a lot of time and sort of ego, you know, if you can think of like ego as currency, becoming someone who would be in unmistakably classical musician. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it's, I, I, again, I know this is an audio thing. Um, so a, a phenomenal composer. Um, and of course, like an, uh, Melissa Dunphy, I was thinking of her, her online handle first. I'm like, no, it's going to know Melissa Dunphy. Um, has a kind of a running gag about like, you know, dudes like with brown hair and glasses, you know, like that's what <laughs> composers are like just a, just a string of dude. I mean, it's not the case anymore, but she's, you know, she's railing against like, there's a, you know, there's a, like, we, we have a, we have a look. Um, so yeah. like I, you know, I adopted that look, um, you know, and I adopted that length. I spent a bunch of time, like, you know, sort of faking it until I became this thing. Right. And then realized I turned around and I was sitting there like worried about, I was worried about like, stupid details of, you know, like I wanted people to, you know, I wanted to people to, to, to think that I was very erudite and educated and very, you know, like, and then I turn around everyone's wearing t-shirts 
and everyone's, <laughs> you know, everyone's like, oh no, we're, we're really just cool, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, cool, cool laid back people now. And so I missed the bus on that, but it informs the music that I write because I, I, I'm a horn player, which, um, affects kind of the my my i have a romantic heavy side you know like i said this is the this is the the, like the bread and butter stuff for a horn like i so i i you know this is the stuff i played growing up um i played like i said playing in drum corps you know i was from 13 to 18 so i was like young younger skewed younger than the average drum corps kid and like i was not playing like a division one like the top i wasn't like in division two core like so but that idea of like sort of like the the arranging like a, the arranging of music and like the weaponize sort of in my head in my head it's like the weaponizing of music like you take you take a a well-known trope and then you transform it into something else but you're transforming it in a very specific way to appeal to a very specific aspect of what you're doing right. um you know so i don't there's people who do the sort of the f the sort of the the ethnography of drum corps shows better than i do but um, you know, but that that sort of information that so I I I jokingly will, will call my music weaponized romanticism. I want to I want my music to be recognizable to to sort of average folk, or at least if not recognizable, like you know, sort of I I, I still think about it sort of linguistically rather than like sculpturally, if that makes sense. Like I, in my head, there's right. a dichotomy. There's like a there's a, a continuum of like music is a language and the language follows like specifically kind of Robert Hatton rules of like tropes and like, you know, it, it like it, you can spell it out that way. And then sort of, then there's the sort of sound sculptural element. I feel you can, you can kind of tell like that, you know, people's in my head, like people's music falls on that line. Um, I try desperately to write more sculptural music, but it always comes back to sort of like a, a linguistic component. Like I, so I, I, I find myself trying to subvert, older styles and older forms and like trying to manipulate them sculpturally, mm -hmm. but because I'm engaging with them, you know, because I'm, because I'm, um, because I'm trying to, to build something that works off of like an assumption that like time goes from, you know, time, time moves forward and that, you know, like we're not, we're not trying to, you know, like I want something that has like something that has like a, you know, something that's constructed, like you could say, okay, that's a melody and that's a, that's a counter melody and that's a baseline. Like there's, these elements are still there. It means right. it'll never fully be like completely sculptural. Part of this is also like, I, I, my, <laughs> my, how, the music that I write is also informed the, about how I feel about this dichotomy about music. Like, Cause like I, I am very self-conscious of the fact that I feel like you know, in, especially like, in, you know, like when I was a younger composer, you know, as an undergrad, everyone would laugh at you for writing, like, oh, look at the kid writing, you know, writing, uh, writing triads, you know, mm -hmm. ha, ha look at, you know, like, uh, you know, don't write that, you know, it's before we, you know, before it became cool to write, you know, to write you know, sort of new sincerity style, you know, everything is sort of, you know, you know, everyone's allowed to sound, sound pretty again. Right. Um, you know, a very specific curated pretty, but like pretty nonetheless, you know, you should be writing really, you know, it's, and that has a problem to do with like our, the way we kind of teach composition in college where we sort of like start at, you know, start at 1901. And then like, we spent all this time on this really specific period of music and then, you know, and that, yeah, but that's, that's a story for another day, but, um, <laughs> But no, but just very much not like I, you know, like when I was in undergrad, like I didn't identify with this music. Like I didn't really grow, like the most I'd, I'd heard was Ives. And I thought Ives yeah. is like transformational, you know, mm -hmm. like as a, as an undergrad. Like, I mean, my, my composing like completely changed when I first heard the, the Barrio Sinfonia, 
like that like mm. yeah third moment barry i've got a big tattoo of it on my leg um, oh, really? like, it's just like it's i have i will never be able to write that piece like i'll never be able to write like that but the idea of like okay what like here it was it was the first time that i like it dawned on me that i could like find a way to like engage with the, the stuff that i loved in a way that was in, that was informed by what was happening now right. and i didn't just it wasn't just a matter of like oh i had to i just have to either rehash what had already been written or you know but like that i it yeah it just completely changed the game for me and then i've been trying to sort of experiment with it ever since then and it, you know it shows up in different ways but that, that general like through line of like i am taking the old stuff and i'm trying to transform it here i want it recognizable but i want it di- like i i want it to be i would rather my my music be at home at a concert like if there was a brahms piece before my piece that it would feel like okay this makes sense to be here rather than maybe a new music concert where you know there's a bunch of chocolate block stuff where like you know like everything fits like a more classically new music concert you know kind of deal like i want my i still I, this sounds terrible to say it out loud but it's like i want my music performed in tuxedos like, I want my, um, but you know, like, that, that does actually exp- give a good picture. Yeah. Like I, and that's, that's terrible and classist. I realize like saying, it, I don't actually, <laughs> I don't mean it like that, but I like, but I, like I said, but there's the, there's that aspect of it. Like, you know, it's yeah. I, yeah. So there it is. Yeah. <laughs> getting canceled. I'm getting canceled. Once this comes out, you watch out. Like, oh, no. watch out. The kids are coming after me after that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they won't. There's so many, there's so many sides to composing and, and so many different genres and styles and to compose something. I'm, I'm assuming that you're referring to composing things for a concert stage. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, yeah, I guess that's, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't care where it gets played. I'll I mean, play it in a barn, play it outside right. if you want, you know, but, uh, <laughs> make sure but, you yeah. wear a tuxedo. <laughs> but where, yeah, exactly. I will, I will not condone. I will not condone those pants, sir. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's not about the you know it's obviously not about the attire. And I mean, right. I, I use it as kind of a I use it as kind of a hyperbolic statement because again, like I know that like so there's so many like pearl clutching articles about like attire at classical music concerts. Yeah, um, and it's the it's it's really handy for me to use again like visual art or like clothing um to to kind of articulate things that i'm really not great at saying with words right. i'm trying to say with music so that's why I, that's yeah. why i'm grabbing with them so right yeah that makes perfect sense you yeah you listening to this episode right now come in a little closer let me tell you a story back in the early days of the COVID-19 lockdown I was truly struggling with my health and fitness my gym was closed and I didn't have any equipment at home to be able to do a proper workout I was laying around my apartment moving from my couch to my bed and vice versa reading a ton of books, eating unhealthy foods, and just living my couch potato life. 
I would occasionally get the nerve to go out on a walk in my neighborhood, but those were too few and far between. Then, something happened. It was like a switch flipped in my head, and I was sick of this life and I needed to do something about my health. That's when I found Roy Belzer Fitness, and then everything changed. Every weekday, I wake up with an email in my inbox containing a new workout video, and I can do that workout whenever my busy schedule allows. Better yet, in these videos, Roy does the workout with us, so his words of encouragement mean all the more to me, who is just sweating all over the place. But Roy Bowser Fitness isn't just a daily workout routine. It's a community, a shoulder to lean on, and a body-positive space where all are welcome and are free from judgment. Via a private Facebook community, every student gets to share their own journeys and encourage others to keep going. We all get to engage with each other every day, sharing sweaty selfies after workouts, nutrition tips and recipes, and posts that keep us accountable for one another. When you sign up for Roy's class, you not only get to join this incredible group of people to keep you accountable, you also get a free nutrition guide and the opportunity to win incredible prizes like free memberships and cash prizes. You can get back to your weight loss and fitness journeys right now when you sign up for Roy Belzer Fitness. Just go to RoyBelzerFitness.com slash sign up or click on the link in the show notes and use the code CRONPODCAST at checkout to get 10% off your first month of classes. Again, that's RoyBelzerFitness.com slash sign up and use the code CRONPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your first month. Join me and this wonderful community of like-minded individuals living healthier lifestyles in a body-positive space with Roy Belzer Fitness. Okay, okay, shh, 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 the episode's starting again. Is there a particular genre or more so specifically a ensemble that you like to write for? Um, I don't have one that I, I mean, I think again, 18 year old Jason would be like, hands down, you need to write for orchestra. Cause that's the only way anyone's ever going to take you seriously is if you write for orchestra and you have to write for the biggest orchestra you can, because <laughs> you know, and um, I, 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 I tried to write for, I mean, I tried to write for band. Um, band is like writing for a Winnebago in my mm-hmm. head. Like it's, you know, it's, or like, or, you know, or like a Mack truck. Like it's got a lot of horsepower, but yeah. man, does that thing not handle? Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I mean, it's great. And there are people who, I mean, there are, there are composers who, who do it great um but mm-hmm. i think my my sort of own personal like delusions of grandeur when i'm composing where i'm just like everybody's gonna do it now and yeah. like you know it's just <laughs> like nine f's like we need you know like that's you know and again i i tend to think big but that but that that kind of thinking big actually translates better to like smaller and smaller ensembles like so like the most um the most successful orchestra piece i've ever written was this little 
two minute fanfare. Um, I wasn't able to include it on the podcast because I don't, you know, it's not my, it's not my right. recording. Right. Um, but again, you can, I can give you a link to the SoundCloud. It's, it's pinned on my Twitter. Like, yeah. yeah. And you can hear this, the Roco, the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra um, is, you know, it's just, again, it's a little orchestra. It's like kind of smaller than like what like Brahms would have had, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, so, but like not, not full brass section, but like, man, was that great. You know, man, was that fun to write for. And I had like all this space to do it instead of just trying to make like, you know, I, I had like this weird goal of like trying to write like the, like the most massive object traveling at like the most, like the, the fastest speed, like the idea mm-hmm. of like this, like, you know, in, you know, infinitely, infinitely massive thing traveling at infinite speed was like, that's what mm-hmm. I want my music to, you know, really, really sort of edgelord type, you know, like, yeah, this is what I want my, so it's, I think against my better judgment, like I said, I, my, my chamber music actually ends up being more successful than okay. like my big pieces. But like, again, if you ask me, you, you put it, you know, put some drinks in me and ask me what I want to write for. I'm like, Oh, I want to write for, you know, Mahler eight. Yeah. Give me, give me the Mahler eight orchestra. Yeah. And I'll, <laughs> or yeah. yeah. And that's that. Yeah. I, I only like, I learned that writing, you know, like my doctoral dissertation was a mess because it was just like, they were like, yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we're, we're writing for like effectively a conceptual ensemble. We'll read it. But I mean, like you're right. You know, so I was like, why not? Let's, let's write for the big old orchestra. And it's just, mm. I ended up weigh, like, kind of weighing myself down just because I wanted to like, you know, wanted more, you know, MOAR more players. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, <laughs> um, but I, I mean, as far as like preference, um, I like unlock. I like, uh, okay. Another, another clothing metaphor. Uh, my mother is a, uh, and this is probably why all the clothing metaphors, my mother, um, is a seamstress. She makes wedding okay. dresses, custom wedding dresses, Ooh. which is, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the kind of like wedding where, where like a, a bride says like, no, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want one that somebody else can get. Like I want a bespoke wedding dress. Mm. Like that's what my mom does. And she's you know masterful at it. Um, but, that idea of kind of tailoring and that idea of like that you're coming for somebody else. Like I like to work with groups or I like to work with people that have sort of a conception about what they do. Um, so I think a really good tailor has a style. Like if you go, you know, get a suit made, like if you get a suit at Edward Sexton, you know that you're getting a suit that is very specifically Edward Sexton's suit. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. very structured. It's got like giant lapels. It's a very, very, idiosyncratic type of suit um Mm. but at the same time it has to be fit to the customer and the customer has say i mean they're the one buying it so like at the so i think of like my rehearsals as fittings you know so like that that tends to work with smaller on smaller more agile ensembles that can you know it but i don't i don't i don't write for nobody i guess that means i like to unlock like you know um one of the pieces that you'll hear is, was for, you know, the four, four female vocalists and then um, some instrumentalists and then, uh, but, you know, it's sort of unlocking the potential in those, 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 we, those, those combinations. Like I don't go out of my way for like particularly, you know, odd combinations, but like trying to find that stuff is, is half the fun. And I think it informs the, informs what the piece will end up sounding like at the end of it, because you, you know, you, you, at that, you know, you can't really superimpose your, your will onto, you know, again, you can't, you can't write Mahler eight with a, you know, with a tiny little, like with a, you know, Brahms horn trio, right. you know, try as I might try as I might, you know, <laughs> nobody ever will with the size of, I, but I will try every damn time. I know. <laughs> uh, Mahler eight is just, is just so incredible. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I can listen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I will. I'm, I'm trying to get my toddler to listen to it and I, he <laughs> wants to listen to Blippi instead. And it's yeah. know, breaks my, breaks my heart, but you'll, you'll love shark. You love, yeah. Oh yeah. We, we just left the baby shark phase. I'm, I'm trying oh, not to say it. it too loudly. Cause uh, <laughs> don't want another afternoon of baby shark. No, no. Oh, I don't know. Do you, do you have kids or? I don't know. Um, oh, it's yeah. It's real. Yeah, I I have a lot of friends that are starting to have kids, so I I, I <laughs> am I'm aware of the music that is starting to come out for children of that age, and <laughs> Ooh, it's a trip, <laughs> and how addicting, and how uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, they're such earworms. Earworms is the word for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think, oh man, but you know, in time it'll come. My my wife actually is kind of pushing the music lessons with him really early on. I'm trying okay. to, I'm trying not to because I I I'm worried about kind of Leopold Mozarting it a bit. Like, uh, I yeah, <laughs> I am so worried that like cause I I use because again pre kids my when my friends would have kids I would make some like really. St- stupid comment to someone be like oh you know they, they put the picture up like everyone meet you know meet you know little little baby john you know and john's like four four weeks old and i'm like how are his scales and arpeggios yeah. you know <laughs> like, and i thought i was and now i yeah oh yeah being yeah. being a music but but yeah like i i'm hoping that he hope he discovers it on his own and yeah. maybe you know i'm wondering what he'll do to rebel Again, because I, I kind of you know became a you know my my parents got me a job at McDonald's mm-hmm. um, when I was fifteen. Said something like, "If you don't get a college degree, this is the job you're going to get." For like, I came home and like I was signed up to work at McDonald's. I did not go willingly, and then no. you know I showed them by getting you know a PhD in music. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. So I'm wondering what he'll do to to rebel when when the time for music comes. Yeah, yeah, I. I... I certainly had that experience myself where my parents owned a bakery when I was growing up and they desperately wanted me to, to work at the bakery for as long as I could. And they knew that I wasn't going to, uh, they knew that I wasn't going to continue working there as soon as I started getting into high school and started getting involved in music. But I kind of got the, the talks of, Oh, are you gonna are you gonna be successful in music? Uh, don't, it's not really a career that that people really succeed in unless you are one of the greats. And it's like, well, sometimes if you're passionate enough about it, you just gotta work really hard at it. I bounce back and forth. Like I, I always hate I always hate that I'm that I come to the for my own son, like I keep coming back to like the the drunk uncle at Thanksgiving advice about music. And it <laughs> it it, it kills me every again because like i i i want again my parents were really super supportive mm-hmm. you know um they didn't know anything about about music because we didn't know you know so but they were like my mother would have cut off her arm if it meant that i that i got into got into somewhere you mm-hmm. know if if like if yeah if i if, if tanglewood called up and said like yeah we'll let him in if you just cut off your arm like mm-hmm. without hesitation yeah, um, like they were super supportive, and like again, we were you know I grew up in the you know in the whole like in the ni- late nineties college thing was like you will follow your dream because like yeah. a bunch of like unfulfilled parents working at their you know jobs that they don't want to work at, so they were like no no you have to go to college so that you can get your dream job, and of course yeah now I keep like 
having someone who, like I said, like I, I, I don't work in music and I don't think I'll ever get to work in music. And, um, I keep finding myself being like, just become a software engineer. Just, you know, just, just get like, you know, go into finance, go into something safe. And it's, I feel, I feel awful. Like in my worst moments being like, should I be, you know, I shouldn't, I, I, I should, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a combination of growing up like during like the financial, like the 2008 financial crisis. And then this, the pandemic has just changed. It's like made, made, um, made me more risk averse. I hope it doesn't affect him in the future. Mm-hmm. Like I hope it, you know, I hope he gets to, I mean, I'll push for him to do whatever he wants, but I'm, I find myself kind of surprised at like, like yeah. I said, like that, those going back to those old salts of like, man, if I had only just gotten that, you know, degree in business instead of spending all my time in music school, making fun of the business majors. Cause like, <laughs> that was, that was the thing we'd all be sitting there like, you know, at the lunch table, you know, lunch table or, you know, outside of, no, look at the business school kids. Those guys are, those guys are jerks. Those business school kids will never understand us, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah. Uh... <laughs> the angst of a music student. Oh yeah. Oh man. I would love, I would love for nothing to do. Just do a podcast about like, just like all the stuff we thought about in music, like all like the, I think my, my, I had a, I had a friend who went to Ithaca and I guess mm-hmm. this is also during Harry Potter. And I guess all like, they would refer to like the non-music majors as muggles <laughs> and like so I was like that's perfect though because like you you somehow like as a music student you're like because maybe because everyone's about to like be like thrown into the pit that is you know that that's like that, that is the, the life after music school but you all like mm-hmm. you're like we're special we're so so special we were meant to be here like it was yeah. really like really uh rose tinted glasses view of like you know of, like uh, how how important we were you know, in music school. And so, man, yeah, it takes me back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really tough. I went into college thinking that music education was the only profession that was successful in music. So I went in as a music education major and I started to realize that music education was not the only way to be successful and it was a roller coaster of trying to figure out how else it can be successful in music because there are so many other professions such as composing and conducting and history and theory and all those other things and all the while trying to to keep up with your exams because somehow music exams are just ridiculously difficult (laughs) compared to other exams um and yeah it's music the music industry as starting off is is a scary thing oh absolutely yeah and like um one of those things again it's another again another one of those thanksgiving conversations of like well you want to do something safe like you go into music education and like or now i get i get this like i just i just changed jobs and they ask me because again i can't avoid the all the music school, like on my, on my education thing. So they're like, why don't you just, why don't you just teach high schoolers or like teach high school music? And mm. like, they, it's very difficult. It's, it's not like the, it's not the same. Like, again, it's not the yeah. same as like you get an English degree and you're like, Oh, I'll just go get my teaching credential and they'll, they'll let me in. I was like, no, no, it's like a whole music yeah. education. Is, it's, it's like, 
even if, like it's it's got its own gatekeeping. Like the people are so terrified that like performers who are just burnt out on performing are just going to become educators. Like yeah. like there's a lot of like you got to there's a it's a gauntlet um, just in coursework alone. Like oh great, well now you're a music major and an education major all rolled into one. You've got both the work and yep. And, and so um, oh man, and it's it's also you know, it's, it, one doesn't prepare you for the other. Like I, like my, my wife, you know, when we first moved out to California and we, and I was unsuccessful after, you know, kind of making the rounds, trying desperately to get an adjunct thing. She's like, why don't you teach, teach high school? And I told her, I'm like, I don't, I, I have no, like nothing in my training yeah. to be a composer, like was focused around teaching children. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do if I get into a room and we go, okay, fine. Like place with the first movement of Holst one or something. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, now, you you played about forty percent of that right. Let's <laughs> play it again, but let's get a hundred percent of it right. Like, right. I, don't, I don't know how it. You know, I don't know how to 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 get that. Or you know, yeah. like I don't. Yeah, I just, and um, I don't. It's its own. I, I definitely like what I'm trying to get is it's definitely it's its own calling. Um, it is, I think, way harder than because I feel like again back in the old music school days, like the you know um, there was like a pecking order. Of like, you know, the performers and the composers, you know, were, felt that they were at the very top of the, we were the purest musicians. Yeah. And then um, underneath us were the music education majors who who were, you know, scared to perform, you know, like that's, yeah. you know, and then, you know, but we could all laugh at the music theater majors. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's terrible. And they all showed us because like, we were, we were also like alienating like the most like, you know, the people that like probably we want like advocating for us the best, like the people who are like, you know, the, the best performers, like yeah. the people who are going to reach the most people. And we're sitting there going like, Oh, you sing your songs, dance your dances. Yeah. It's, oh God. It's the worst. Um, and you know, and they have to like, you know, be stage ready all the time. And you know, yep. God, yeah, there needs to be, there need, there's a missing, there's a missing like, like very niche web series or very niche. Like, I know like we've got like the Mozart in the jungle thing, like trying yeah. to like, you know, navigate the classical music world. But like, there's a very niche, like for, for people who liked glee, but like very pointed at classical music, like undergrad, <laughs> undergraduate classical music programs, like that me and like I and four of the people would totally watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's, Oh God. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like, it's what's the, what's, What's nostalgia? But when you're embarrassed, is there a is there a German com combination word for that? <laughs> like I can't think of it. Nostalgia? I don't know. Someone will. Yeah, because that that needs to be. Yeah, that's that's good. Like, oh man, yeah. Like if we can combine regret, embarrassment, and nostalgia into one big German word, that's that's what I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it is. Mm -hmm. Uh it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are some current projects that you're working on? Um, I, I, I think like a lot of composers right now during the, um, um, during the pandemic, a lot of our work dried up. I mean, just a lot of the things that we're going to, like I, I had a, um, I had a band piece for, um, for Caitlin Bove up at Pierce college up in, uh, up in Washington, uh, that was going to get played, but then obviously they can't meet in person to do it. And the, right. and the pieces kind of coordinate difficult to coordinate virtually. So, um, that kind of got put on hold. Um, I, because I, I'm sort of a, um, 
you know, sort of a, an, you know, a, a, an amateur composer at this point. Like I don't have, a, I don't, I never really have a lot on my plate. Um, you know, I, I have, I have a two year old, which meant that like, you know, for, for the past year or so, you know, composing was extremely difficult because I've had, you know, a, a kid running around that and my, I had a day job that was like super duper stressful um, and uh, made it so that, you know, I, it just, you get home from work at the end of the day and you just sit down to try and write and your brain would just be like, no, no, it's Netflix yeah. time. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's watch, or like, let's watch YouTube videos of people polishing shoes. Yeah. <laughs> That's about where I'm at at the end of it. And, um, trying, and again, uh, trying to sort of pick it up. I mean, the nice thing about, I, 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 I'm working on a, a horn sonata right now, which is kind of, which is freeing. Um, I wrote a, I wrote a trio for, you know, like a, like a Brahms horn trio. Cause like I, you know, I, when I, I don't have the intention to play it, but obviously like I, you know, it's, it's like if you were to write a trumpet piece, like you, you can't help but sort of personify yourself in it. Like it's, right. you know, like this is, this is sort of my thing. So I'm trying to write, like trying to make my little mark on that. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there and, um, and kind of see where it goes. Um, because it's I'm I'm in a like I said a weird place in that like I'm not so hungry for for new work that I'm constantly putting feelers out there like and it was it was never something I was very good at was like the, the like I said the networking aspect of it and like that you know there's some people who are just great at it and like I said being great at being friends with a bunch of people who want to do their stuff and I've just have never been one of those people so I, I'm waiting for something to yeah, you know, uh, I'm open to new work. <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I'm sort of passively working on on this horn horn sonata, but um, you know, I'm doing some stuff. The nice thing about it is that because like I because um, because I feel like I'm so like far like so far out of the the magnifying glass. Like I, I feel free to do what I want. Like there's no reason for me to not write music the exactly the right the piece I want to write which is silly, but like, it's a, an anxiety of mine that I've had that like, that there was always a music I should be writing, mm-hmm. you know, that there was a music, like if I, if I just wrote this piece well enough, then, then like it, or like I could show the people that were looking for this, you know, the kind of music that they were looking for that I would, um, that they would come like, they, they would be like, okay, yeah, Jason can do it, mm-hmm. you know, or like that there would be like, a, well, it's like two years ago now. I, I, I made, um, the, the finals for um, the Atlanta Symphony and the Atlanta Chamber Players do this thing called Rapido. Um, mm. It's like a, I don't know if you've heard of that competition, but like- it's I have. Of, oh yeah, yeah. So they- I lived uh, in Atlanta. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, so they, I, I made the finals for that one year, which was really gratifying because I, I felt like I came out of nowhere and it was you know really validating. But like, aside from, from stuff like that, like it's, you know, like I, I, because I just don't have my, I don't, I'm not really- you know, I'm relying on the internet basically just to kind of, you know, yeah. I've, I've got like my, my lobster trap out there and hope like a, a commission walks into it rather yeah. than like going out and like trying to like swing a net and, and catch something. If that right. makes sense. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Where are some places that people can find your music? You can find me on the internet. No, um, you can, find... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a website because for some reason we're still, we still have websites. Um, and aside from like that one bot in Korea that keeps checking my website, uh, <laughs> you can find it there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we can include a link, I guess in the, yeah. in the thing. Cause this is a podcast. Yeah. 
what we do. Um, and then uh, you can find me on sound. You can find my music kind of, you know, I, I kind of shelve it on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, I have most of my links to my stuff there. Um, I'm trying to do YouTube because it seems like a lot of, again, younger folks want, oh man, it's because MuseScore will, will like, I don't know if you, have you ever, have you been on like, um, have you been on like Composer Reddit? I, I try to get into Reddit and I just don't understand it, but I'm trying. <laughs> I, I try to go on there. And again, it's a bunch of young kids. Cause I remember like being like this, like I, I, when I was a kid, like you, you grab whatever, what, what stuff you can, like what's free. Yeah. And, you know, like I grew up like on noteworthy composer, like this piece of freeware. And I was like trying to write my thing. And like, I feel like a lot of kids like are on MuseScore now because it's free and it's there, but like MuseScore will, um, it will export a video of like the little like curse. You can't, why am I gesticulating? Cause you can't see it. So po- sorry. <laughs> first, first podcast. Um, <laughs> like, but like, it'll show like a little line, like running by your score as it like plinks and plunks its way through the general MIDI sounds of your, of your piece. So a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, but um, a lot of kids will like create YouTube channels and I see like the score fall, like, a, you know, there's a, there's a visual aspect to a lot of scores that I'm not, again, as a, as a, as a fan, I'm, I'm, I, I understand the, the need for like very like like scores made in Illustrator as opposed mm-hmm. to but like I you know but my scores are my scores tend to look like regular scores but I'm trying to come up with like a YouTube presence there so I'm starting yeah. to upload stuff as it's handy but that's mostly like um, that's mostly just for like works in progress type, type stuff um, because I don't have like a because I don't have like a pressure to be super professional I'm I'm much more I'm much more likely to throw up a MIDI work in progress mm-hmm. or something like that just because there's no like i there was a there was a big taboo about it at the beginning like how dare you show you know we i grew up in the last gasp of people like where people refused to admit that you know midi playback of your music existed yeah. so i think, think there was some of that holdover but now i yeah so i'll throw that up there but like mostly soundcloud um you can find me commenting and you know um on stuff on twitter i don't um i don't throw a lot of music up there but i will you know but you can, you know, Ben. If you want to, like, if you want to hang out, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably yeah. the place to find me. And then from Twitter, you can find me other. You can find other places where I've got my music. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for coming on to the show today. I really appreciate you you sharing your story and and where you are today. Oh, thanks. This is because this has been a great trip. A trip down memory lane. Yeah. Uh, it's just, like it's just opening up a bunch of stuff. Thank you for this. Thank you for this therapeutic conversation. You're, you're very <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you once again to J.M. Garrity for joining me today. I have all the places you can find him and his music listed in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And if you've really enjoyed this episode, go check out all the other composers I've interviewed on this Composers of Our Modern World series. The Composer Chronicles' theme music was written by Daryl Banner. You can find the Composer Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using the handle CronPodcast on all platforms. Also, you can become a member on my Patreon page. For only $1.50 a month, members get early access to ad-free versions of every episode, plus a Patreon podcast named Unscripted. There are a ton of other cool things at higher levels, so head on over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles to sign up today. Without further delay, here is Slant of Light by J.M. Garrity.
Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.